Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Adil Royster. Always chill vibes, always chill ride. Going to talk a little about the upcoming Sixers head coaching search. No need to eulogize Brett Brown anymore. It's been a week and a half, two weeks. I, I think we all need to just move on with our lives as crazy as our lives already are in this current climate. So I'm going to get on the line with uh, Sean Kennedy, who did a piece about Ty Lu- Tyron Lu being one of the Sixers, I guess, top candidates, I guess. Um, so we're going to talk about him for a little bit, as well as some other names that are breaching the news, so to speak, in terms of Sixers head coaching. So I'm going to introduce to you all to a little Liberty Ballers royalty, Mr. Sean Kennedy. How you doing? I'm doing well, Adio. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so we can't go. I thought we we're just doing like a pro con Brett Be- Brett Brown beard session. Um, uh, I am very. Can we, can, can we squeeze that in? Maybe. I don't okay, know. we can do that for like the first like five minutes because I am just... very I am very pro Brett Brown beard. I am all. I was always all about Brett Brown's beard, and that's that's one hell of a tongue twister, by the way. So I don't yeah. urge anyone do that more than like five <laughs> times in a row. But yeah, always been pro beard, pro right. beard. Good to hear. Me too. Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, everything's been kind of topsy turvy in Sixers world for better part of a decade now. But Brett Brown has been the consistent presence in our lives, and he's gone now. And we kind of have a a new future, kind of a blank slate looking ahead in that regard. So. As much as we miss Brett and uh, wish him all the best moving forward, it's uh, kind of exciting to have kind of a new chapter in our uh, Sixers lives here. So excited to talk about the uh, candidates that are kind of floating around out there with you here today. It's kind of exciting and then also a little bit depressing as well and equally more depressing depending on who the candidate actually is. There are definitely some names that excite me more than others and I'll just jump right into it. For me, Tyron Lu doesn't really excite me all that much. And I'll let you I'll let you start about like why Tyron Lu would be a decent option for the Sixers in 2020, 2021, and beyond. Sure. I'll I'll preface this by saying he's not he, he doesn't excite me. I wouldn't go that far. But I do think it's interesting how when when people bring up his name, everyone just kind of like has that. Oh, he's a he's a retread. He's like, oh, why would we go to that option? Like, isn't there like anything more exciting? Basically, like you're kind of saying. But here's here's his coaching career. He came in to Cleveland in 2016 midseason, and he won a title his first year. Then he lost 
in the finals the next two years to a team, a Warriors team that because they had won in Cleveland in 2016, Draymond Green was in the parking lot texting Kevin Durant to join them. <laughs> so you got you got Steph Curry, you got Kevin Durant, you got Clay and Draymond, and you know all the supporting cast they had here had there. Uh, Iggy, obviously. Um, so you lose in the final to that team, like a historically great team. Like in the conversation, people were talking like, oh, how would they go against the 90s Bulls or any of the great teams from other eras? They were talking about the Warriors in that regard. So you lose in the finals to them back-to-back years. Like there's no shame in that. Like you, you can't say, oh, Ty, Ty Lue didn't get as much out of his squad as he could have just because he lost to the Warriors in the finals. So three straight finals appearances, one title, and then – after, and then obviously LeBron leaves, goes to LA, and Cleveland has a rebuild on their hands. And they, for some reason, they keep Lou around, but then only give him six games. Like it made no sense. If, that was if you weird. wanted, yeah, if you wanted somebody else for the rebuild, then do it in the off season. Like why? Like you know the team's not going to be good. So just because they start zero and six, you kick them to the curb. <laughs> so yeah, it didn't make sense. Um, I mean, obviously, there's you don't know how much coaching impacts performance, really. Like, no one's ever come up with a great metric for that. So LeBron and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love have a, a lot more to do with whatever success the Cavs had than whoever was on the sidelines. So I just feel like uh, I don't know what else Lou was supposed to do. Like, he came in. He won a title. He reached the finals in the other two years. Is this by all accounts, this should be a guy who gets a second shot to be head coach in the league. So if if it comes here, I I, I think I would just like keep an open mind and, and see what he has. This has always been my concern with Ty Lu uh coming to the Sixers or going anywhere really. It could whatever job opens up. And I always come back to this and it may seem a little short sighted. You can tell me what you think about this opinion. It's how good is Ty Lue from like an X's and O's standpoint or developing offensive systems? I mean, he's certainly a leader since he can coach a team with LeBron's ego and Kyrie's ego and, you know, Kevin Love. But like, how good of a coach is he if he doesn't have like LeBron James or Kyrie Irving? I just don't know how good he is really. Well, I would say that everybody kind of thinks that just because you have LeBron, you're just going to just win games. All right, you have LeBron, you should win. But there, there is a certain amount of maneuvering and strategy involved in a LeBron-based team, and you have to position the right pieces around him. I mean, we saw last year in L.A., even before his, his injury, like the Lakers weren't humming on all cylinders. It wasn't, and uh, it was Luke Walton at the time, and Walton was let go as a result because they weren't, kind of living up to the standards that they had expected when LeBron came aboard. But uh, yeah, I think Lou did a good job with kind of the, all right, it's LeBron's turn. Now it's Kyrie's turn and, and getting Kyrie to buy in as like an off the ball presence a lot of times when LeBron was controlling the offense. And he, he really used uh, love in a, in a great fashion where he didn't always just position him down low. He, he, he worked some really good high pick and rolls with either LeBron and Love or Kyrie and Love. So I think, I think you know, their offense had a nice little flow to it. And it because it was LeBron and because Kyrie became a big name and even bigger after he hit the uh, championship winning shot, 
uh, in the finals in 2016. Uh, he, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, they have these guys. Of course, of course, they're playing well. But there is, you know, a certain amount of strategy and offensive execution and everything that went into play. And I think Lude deserves some credit with that. And then again, I would just say it's a star-driven league. And a big part of coaching now is just getting your stars to buy in and getting them on the same page as you. And to whatever extent you can say coaches can do that, you would have to say that Tyloo has that because – he is a guy that LeBron basically forced out David Blatt. I mean, there's conflicting rumors about that, but <laughs> it, it's, it seems pretty obvious that Lou was the guy LeBron wanted, wanted to coach that team. So he has the respect of stars in, in the modern era. Um, so let's give him a shot to see if he can, uh, you know, work with Joel and work with Ben. And if I, I, it'll be pretty obvious from the, the jump whether he has the chops to construct an offense that brings their talents together and allows them to coexist to uh, their their maximum effectiveness um, but the, yeah then again like it's not like I'm bagging the drum for Tyloo it's just like I feel like he I don't understand why people don't consider him as like a reasonable option like as far as like I said before, he is he is kind of he is kind of dismissed early, like a lot of times for like right. retreads yeah. that aren't nearly as good as he is. Exactly. So I yeah, like he's he's been a coach once before with one team, and aside from the six game rebuild, which I think we can just toss that aside because I don't like whatever. He, there's nothing he was going to do there. Um, yeah, there's he, like there's no talent on that Cleveland team. Yeah, and we saw like they brought in John Beeline. We saw how that went. So. Whoa. <laughs> so he reached he literally reached the finals every year of his coaching career <laughs> like so what i what more could he have done as i said before so i i think he's just he's worth consideration and if he gets the job i'll i'll just say all right let, let's see what he can do that's that's where I at, i'm at with him i will say that there is something to what you said about uh delegation in a star driven league because we've seen Ty Lue do it with LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. But then you've also seen Eric Spolster do it with LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh. So maybe there is something to the fact that Ty Lue is a good delegator of possessions, I guess is the right word. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a good way to phrase it. And like I remember back in the in the in those Cleveland days with, you know, that LeBron Kyrie team, they would talk about well, there, there isn't really an, it wasn't really that there was an offensive system as much as when LeBron was out there, LeBron was going to do his thing. And then he got Kyrie to buy in that, all right, LeBron's on the bench. He's, these are the 12 minutes of game. He's on the bench. Now you get to shine. You get to run the show and do everything you want. And it kind of, they kind of created two different, like, dynamics depending on who was the lead ball handler and getting uh i guess it was getting Kyrie more in the sense of to buy in that was a big ask of a guy that was supposed to be like the young franchise guy and now and then lebron kind of came in and like stole the shine a lot from him um but getting him to buy in and then getting those two systems to kind of coexist alongside each other and and work in in the fashion that they did to the to the 
amount of success they had with it. I, I think there's, you know, at least something to be said for that. Now, now that I think about it, that was a masterful job getting Kyrie to buy in because it's not easy to get Kyrie Irving to buy into something. Like we can't even, we can't even convince him to buy into the fact that the earth is round. Okay. So I mean, maybe, maybe Ty Lue's good. Maybe, maybe he is good. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the, the only thing round in uh, in Kyrie's life w- was the ball and the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy. That's yes. the only thing. Now, here's something I am excited about for Ty Lue, and it coincides with something that I wrote last week about it maybe needing to be Ben's team, quote-unquote. I think if Ty Lue does similar things with LeBron that he did, I think – Ben could have a ridiculously efficient offensive season. He, he absolutely could. Um, my only concern is like, what does Joel really do in kind of that Ben centric offense that you laid out in your piece? Um, he's just not a good enough shooter to kind of be like, all right, I'm just going to like spot up and let like a Ben pick and roll with whoever else, because Joel's just not at this stage of his career. He's not a great role guy. And from what I may, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I, how I kind of read it, you were kind of asking for Ben to be the role guy a little bit more with like Josh or Tobias or whoever else shake. You said you mentioned shake Ben pick and rolls a lot. So. A lot more, a lot more Ben as the, the screener and the role guy. Just, I think there's just more options because there's a scenario I painted, like, you know, Ben shake pick and roll and like there's so many different options you can go with you can go with the lob with his ridiculous uh catch radius you can do a pocket pass like into the paint and then ben can kick out to shooters or like a plunging Embiid in the on the baseline it's like that's what i think the sixers lacked in their offensive sets a lot of times just options there weren't a whole lot of options there yeah that's certainly true so maybe yeah maybe kind of like when lebron and kyrie were coexisting maybe if ty Lue was a guy that was brought in whenever joel's on the bench he can get ben to buy in like hey this is what we're going to run like you're going to be the role guy every possession or you're going to be in, involved in this pick and roll in some capacity every possession and then you can go to that five out scheme with uh kind of ben at the center of it so yeah, I mean, that would be, it'd definitely be interesting. And I, I agree that the offense was, you know, very stagnant. Very stagnant. Under Brett Brown. So there's a reason why, there's a reason why a lot of teams employed that cowardly 2 3 zone because the, the Sixers had no way to beat it. Yep. Yeah, they definitely didn't. I, I'm just, I would just be concerned, like, just sticking Joel in the corner. How much are they really going to respect that in the first place? And would that even, would the paint even be open in such a scenario or could they kind of help down and kind of clog those things up? And then you're also asking Joel, who's your, your kind of defensive fulcrum um, to that's, that's making him have the longest run of anyone on the court to go from the corner back to under the basket on the defensive end. So that's tough to do like every possession. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's an inch. They definitely need to incorporate more of that into the offense for sure. And uh, I hope whoever the coach is next year and moving forward gets gets Ben to buy in more as a role guy and more as a, a pick and roll a threat. 
I, I would hope that the plan with Embiid in a Ty Lue system would not be him, you know, in the corners like Kevin Love or Chris Bosh, because I, I, I don't think Ty Lue is oblivious to the fact that Embiid is a ridiculously talented presence on the block. So I, I don't think that would be the case. But again, it would not surprise me at all because that's all I've known from his big men, just like he either had um so it was tristan thompson and kevin love who was a really good shooter and then outside of those big men you can't really i don't really remember any other ones no yeah they definitely played small and they would even go with lebron at the five sometimes um kind of like a point center uh yeah but they but they had tristan thompson who he would act as the roller because he is a guy that would really roll hard and really attack the offensive glass. And that was something that hurt Golden State a lot in those 2016 finals. Right. Kind of a kind of an under the radar key to that series was just how many extra possessions Cleveland got because Tristan Thompson was like rolling hard and getting every loose ball. I mean, maybe you could use MB similarly and then in like certain possessions where you have to have a basket, like everybody just clear out for Joel. Yeah, they they have to fix. I mean, and that that what we're discussing is really getting at the heart of the Ben Joel coexistence problem with two guys who neither of them are great shooters. And yeah. So, uh, that's the that's the that's the number one challenge for whoever takes over the team is how to these two guys that are individually top ten to fifteen guys in the league, but together they don't really complement each other's games. How do you get them? to if not when they're playing together be a hundred percent of what they can do at least like 85 to 90 percent of what they can bring to the table when they're playing together so uh yeah we i mean we'll see that's i'm sure that's going to be probably the first question elton brand asks for whoever steps into the uh the zoom interview chair (laughs) (laughs) now if they're if the sixers are going to hire from within the First name is most likely going to be Ime Yudoka. I am worried about him running something similar to Brett Brown's offense. I don't know if that's a valid concern, considering he was only an assistant coach for a year. So maybe he has his own ideas after a year of seeing Ben and Joel and the rest of this team on the floor. What do you think about that? I'm sure he would have his own ideas. Um, so he was kind of, you know, the Sixers under Brett kind of employed a, like the football terminology for their assistant coaches where one guy would be the offensive coordinator, quote unquote, and he had a defensive coordinator and then a like out of bounds play kind of, what they would term like a special teams equivalent for like everything else. And give that guy the head coaching job. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, but Adoka was the, uh, he was the defensive guy. So he like, whatever the Sixers were running offensive previously, he didn't really have too much influence on that. Um, but he was kind of involved heavily in everything they were doing on the defensive end. So I I don't know how quite to feel about him as a successor to Brett, just because their defense wasn't as good as it should have been given all the different defensive parts they had. You had 
you know, Ben finished fourth overall in defensive player of the year voting. You had Joel, who the year prior finished fourth in defensive player of the year voting. And then, uh, you know, Josh is a pretty good defender. And it's like a ceiling we've kind of hit with this fourth place thing. Yeah. Uh, where, where can we go out and get a top three defensive player? Of the year? Are, they, yeah. are any of those available? <laughs> <laughs> you think, uh, you think Giannis or, uh, Rudy Gobert, they're they're taking calls on those guys. I, I listen. I have my I have my own problems with Rudy Gobert, and it stems from like his ignorance about coronavirus back in February, which is how we got to this position in the first place. Yeah, he was kind of Asian zero for oh. the season shut down for sure. Um, but yeah, so I just uh, the defense definitely it didn't live up to kind of expectations. I think they finished eighth in the league in defensive rating, which you know, that's good. You know, that's top 10, which, you know, nothing to sneeze at, but given kind of when they were coming in, they're like, Oh, we're going to be bully ball. We're just going to like grind people in submission on the defensive end. We never saw that. So they, they certainly didn't live up to expectations and the pick and roll coverage was probably the biggest problem for them on the defensive end all year. And that was something that he t- talked about last offseason like i'm going to come in and fix this we're going to have better solutions for this and that never materialized so we don't it's an assistant coach you don't really have a scoreboard to see how they did but if we did for yudoka that would be it like how did he improve the pick and roll coverage and it would be a failing grade in that regard you just have to look at the boston series how they got shredded on the pick and roll sure yeah exactly and i mean there's a lot of caveats with that like boston has looked tremendous throughout uh, and against the Sixers ending game one against Toronto. And obviously the Sixers didn't have been. So would things have looked a little bit different on the defensive end? Probably. Um, but yeah, so it's tough to kind of gauge him, but my, my biggest thing with uh, just uh, having him go from the assistant coaching chair to the head coaching chair is that they talked about, Hey, we need to like, wipe the slate clean we need to like overhaul everything yeah so if if they're going to come in and it's going to be oh elton's in charge now and before it was collaborative but now it's elton just making all the shots but that's not really a big change and then they're going to say oh well it was brett with yudoka as his head assistant and now brett's gone in and he's the head guy that's not really a big change either so if you're saying like hey we need to overhaul everything and they've already kind of indicated they're not making major changes just because Elton's still going to be the guy, then I think you would want to see major changes at least on the bench. And he wouldn't represent that at all. So I I don't think given what they've kind of indicated that that's the direction they're going to go. And I think he probably deserves a shot. I mean, he definitely deserves a shot somewhere to see what he can do given his track record under the Spurs and uh, with, with us last year. But uh if just given the kind of like we need to start fresh vibe they've been giving off, I don't see how he provides that option for them. All right. Let's talk, let's talk fresh faces then. Um, our colleague, Steve Littman, he tweeted me a story maybe like an hour ago saying that uh, Philadelphia native Dawn Staley would be interested in the job if the Sixers came calling. I have my theory about Dawn Staley, and it is that with women's college basketball, that landscape is changing. It's no longer all the best players go to UConn. Like, 
everybody pretty much goes everywhere. And that, that list of everywhere includes UConn, South Carolina, Oregon, Stanford, Baylor, and maybe one or two other schools. Like it's not just Geno or bust anymore. So my question would be like, why would Dawn Staley leave that landscape when she could probably own women's college basketball in like three to five years if she plays her cards right? Well, A, she's hashtag from here. So yes. <laughs> I, I think uh, that that would play a big part of it. And that's, you know, probably why they're putting these, uh, these reports out there. It's always interesting with all these reports floating around. It's like how much is teams actually having interest in candidates and how much is a candidate's agent putting their name out there so that they get the buzz of like, oh, they're a hot coaching candidate now. It, it and, was a it, it was a, a source close to Staley is, is how it was phrased. So, of course, that comes with a little bit of an, uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not so much with her because obviously she has one of the top jobs in college basketball right now. So it's not like she's, you know, Stan Van Gundy on the – on the mic, like trying to get back into the league as a head coach. Um, yeah, she's not hurting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think being from Philadelphia and then having the uh, the coaching tenure at Temple a decade ago, uh, I think maybe it would just really appeal to her to not only come back to the city, but also to make history as the first woman's head coach in the NBA. That would, you know, her name would be remembered forever and not not only as being a hall of fame player but as being a, a pioneer on the bench in that sense so yeah i could see why they would they want to throw their name into the ring um in the uh st- the staley coaching circles um so yeah it's i mean i obviously that that's not even like a, a serious consideration it wasn't the team saying they're interested it's you know just a name that was floated out there but I'd it's be, just somebody it's just somebody getting Dawn Staley's hype level up. Like somebody yeah, is sure. somebody is flavor flaving Dawn Staley right now. Right. But you know, we we can talk about how much or how little coaching matters in the NBA. It's at the end of the day, it's the players that are out on the court and they have to make plays and talent uh, and star talent specifically is going to take you the the bulk of the way so uh yeah why not take a shot and uh, make a little history let's get uh Don Staley in there let's get uh Becky Hammond and continue the San Antonio Spurs Philadelphia pipeline and get her in here for a shot at uh, making history as the first female head coach yeah why not I mean I'd be totally down for something like that you know I'm all for a first uh, just a first time head coach just giving somebody a shot and seeing what they can do. The last thing I want is a retread that's coached in three to four other places over the last 20 years and hasn't had uh, top level success, but because they are friends with everybody in the league and have been an announcer or whatever else, and they, they get brought up for every vacant vacancy that comes up every year. Um, That that's kind of the last thing I want. Uh, Otherwise, you know, I'm open to anything and, uh, yeah, why not? Let's, let's let's bring in and make it a little history. I have been standing for Becky Hammond to get a job for at least three seasons now. I didn't want her to get the next job or anything because like that, like I, I do not want her to have to deal with that. Minnesota, when that job was available, when when um, 
Memphis was available after JB Bickerstaff. Like that was another good one. I was just like, yo, someone give Becky a job. Like someone give her a call. Good Lord. Um, I don't know if the Sixers would, would they pluck from the Popovich tree again at this point? <laughs> like that's my only concern with Becky Hammond. I don't know if they would pluck from that tree again. Right. And it does seem like Pop's grooming her to be the successor there for whenever he does eventually retire. So I'm sure that's that's in the back of the mind, too, of, you know, all the decision makers involved. Um, would would they get back? I mean, we talked about Ime, so he's from that same coaching tree. So I think if we're giving him that consideration, I think they would have to give equal consideration to anyone else under the San Antonio uh coaching tree support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference that's why parents have trusted sylvan learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You said you don't want retreads. You're the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm giving you that power on my podcast right now. Who are your top choices or just one choice if you're only like i want to have that guy roll a brinks truck up to his house he needs to be on my sidelines well if you're rolling the brinks truck up go get jay Wright. <laughs> okay stop right there stop right there i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you right there because i'm gonna say the same thing i've been saying to everybody about the jay Wright situation i know jay he's not Wright, leaving jay Wright owns the main line he's not leaving for any amount of money I know. I know he's not. Um, yeah, he's he won two titles in three years at a small private Catholic university, and he's from the area, and so he would he's got it as comfortable as you can have, and he's beloved there. He loves this the school and the fans and the program. So yeah, I know he's not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I but, guess I shouldn't have said. But you asked if I was going to yes. back up Briggs truck up. Yes, I did. I was going to say, hey, here's you're going to be the highest paid head coach in any basketball position college or pro in history i would try to get him and see if that's weighed him to say hey you're you, you'll still have a uh you, you'll have less than an hour commute to work it'll just be uh it'll be <laughs> south instead of west jay here's a trillion dollars and a brand new lamborghini that you can drive to south philly every day okay we're gonna we're gonna have a tailor on site for you we're gonna have a tailor on site for you at all times <laughs> so that you're always the most butter-fitted coach in the league yeah. um but getting 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 back to realistics here um what are what are some names that you like 
I mean, what I've seen out there, I like Lou for the reasons I, I mentioned. Um, I don't view him as a retread, and I, I think I, I, I'd be fair. I'd be fine giving him a shot and seeing what he can do. Um, now you might quibble with me about whether he's a retread, but a name that's been floated I like is Dave Yeager. Love and, Dave Yeager. And I think just the circumstances of his departures are like he got kicked out of Sacramento after he did a really good job and really looked to have them on the right track. And I just view that as like Vivek Vladi chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and not anything that I would count against Jaeger. Um, so in his previous two stops, he did, a, he did a really nice job in Memphis. Um, and kind, they were kind of like tapped out as a good, not great team just based on the talent they had. And I think he, he squeezed as much out of that as he could maybe. And then um, in Sacramento, he seemed to be doing a really good job. The players loved him. They were really upset when he was let go. And so I think he, even though he's been a head coach in two previous spots, he's a guy that I would be happy if the Sixers brought him aboard. Um, And then otherwise, you know, just give, give somebody new a look and uh, see what they got. If it's, you know, if it's Becky Hammond, if it's Don's daily, all that's great. If it's, uh, Yudoka, I mean, I mentioned that I wasn't, I didn't think they would do that because it doesn't represent a fresh start, but sure, why not? Let's see what he can do. If he, I'm, he wasn't in charge of the offense, maybe he has really great ideas for how to incorporate Joel and Ben together and the scheme will look completely different. I'd be curious to see if he did. And if he can convince Elton in the interview that he, he would represent a change just because he has some fresh new ideas to bring to the table, then let's see them. Um, aside from those guys, like I'm not, I haven't been combing through the assistant coaching ranks <laughs> to, to, to know exactly what X's and O's every, uh, every top assistant would bring to the table. Uh, I have heard the same names everybody else has. And, and that's just, you know, my, my feelings on the matter is not, not somebody that's been around for 20 years and has, been in three or four previous stops i do like the david yeager idea simply because you know what if the sixers are going to do bully ball then might as well just go the full nine and then just resurrect the grit and grind grizzlies over in south philly like i'm totally cool with that so if yeager wants a shot if fizdale wants a shot fine listen if that's how you're going to pin your team, if that's how you're going to build and say, this is what you want to be, then you need a coach that is a figurehead of that kind of style that you want to run. So Jaeger and Fizdale, I'd be totally in on. Maybe sure. less than, maybe, maybe less on, it's probably more my fondness for Fizdale just to see what he would say in press conferences with Philly media. I feel like that would be like must watch television. Yeah, it, it definitely would be. I I would look forward to that. And uh, <laughs> I'll, yeah, uh, like we mentioned with Jaeger in, in Sacramento, I th- I feel like Fizdale, you you can't penalize him for whatever happened with James Dolan and the Knicks. Like, yeah, that there's that that shouldn't count against people's resume. <laughs> having having to deal with Vlade, having to deal with James Dolan, having to deal with. Um the the owner of the phoenix Suns, whose name always escapes me robert sarver yes sarver like any of those if you work for any of those three like i feel like you should get an immediate pass just you just get a pass like that's it 
Stan Van's name gets thrown around a lot. Uh, he talks way too much on television for my liking. I'm like, dude, you're thirsty. You're a little thirsty to get back in the head coaching ranks. I don't, I don't know if I want to deal with that. Yeah, he was calling the one Sixers game, and it was so obvious that he was campaigning for the job. It just immediately turned me off. Um, yeah, I don't. I, he, his, he's a name that does not excite me at all. His, his greatest success in the league was 12 years ago. Like it's, it's time for, I, I would much rather have a, uh, a new face in there than, and then, than to. And then John Lucas's name came up last week. I'm like, what? Seriously? John Lucas. Okay. Come on. We need to stop this. I, I saw his name and I, I, my, fir- my first reaction was, is John Lucas the third a coach now and is, is like a hot coaching candidate. <laughs> <laughs> that That's what I thought before I thought that they were going to, consider bringing back the guy from the 90s <laughs> <laughs> this gentleman is on my short list but it comes with kind of a caveat barring a trip to the finals i'm pretty sure that he is going to be out where he is right now and the sixers desperately need some kind of offensive overhaul a lot more pick and roll a lot more dynamic for me, one name is probably going to make a lot of people cringe. It made me cringe the first time I thought of this name, but then I started to talk myself into it a little bit more. I don't know. Mike D'Antoni kind of makes a little bit of sense. I, I think he's a good coach. I just don't think with the Sixers having Joel, he would be a good fit because wherever D'Antoni goes, he kind of he just runs the system regardless of the personnel, and I don't see how Embiid fits in a D'Antoni system. It just he doesn't he's not conditioned enough to yeah. do the the seven seconds or less or we've whatever try, we've whatever the modern get, version of that is. We've been trying to get Joel <laughs> conditioned for the Brett Brown offense for the yeah. last like five years. The right, sixteen now, seconds or less. The was, sixteen was seconds troubling. or less. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then if if uh, he wants to run a five out offense with just a lead ball handler running a pick and roll at the top of the key. I don't, I, I don't see how Joel fits into that really. Um, especially with like, I don't see how a Joel Ben partnership works with that. So I just don't, I, th- I think he's a good fit, a good coach, but not a good fit. So. The other name that is on my short list, but it was pointed out to me that his style is a little bit too Brett Brownie. Uh, I thought Kenny Atkinson kind of got a raw deal in Brooklyn after they got KD and Kyrie. I don't know who Brooklyn's next coach is going to be, but he's going to have to navigate that nonsense. Kenny Atkinson, somebody that I always kind of liked in Brooklyn. Like he did more with less. He had, he had Jared Allen and Karis Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie. And he took the Sixers to, what was that? Six games like two years ago. What's it? I, th- I thought it was five, maybe. It might have been six. It, it might have been six. might have been five. But, like, those, those games, like, some of those games were pretty hotly contested. It, they weren't, like, blowouts both ways. No, yeah, there was the Mike Scott game winner, which uh, put the Hive. I think that was the day the Hive was born. That like, was the birth born, of the maybe. Hive, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of what you said where him and Brett Brown, I don't know if, their styles exactly are similar, but I think just kind of 
how they're viewed as guy to shepherd a rebuild and get the most out of young talent that maybe isn't top level talent, but just just get guys to to buy in and play hard is kind of how they're viewed. And I just don't think the optics of having a second guy like that immediately after Brett is what Elton and ownership would be looking for. Um, And I agree with you that it was kind of, it wasn't entirely fair to Atkinson, like how he was let go from Brooklyn. Um, And I I, think a lot of, a lot of that is just the KD Kyrie. I also kind of, behind the scenes. I also kind of feel like Atkinson in Chicago kind of makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I I think that would be a great fit. They have, you know, they're kind of in that position where they have a lot of young guys who haven't really achieved any success. So he's not coming in with established stars who can say like, oh, well, I've won this way. And he can kind of play that similar role where they're, they're scrappy and they have talent, but they're always considered an underdog when they go up against the top teams. I think that would be a good fit for him. Sure. Sorry. You, you say Chicago doesn't have any established stars. Like there's, there's somebody trying to click in on the zoom call. The, the Zach Levine. Do you know who that is? No, <laughs> I saw him losing the uh, horse competition this summer. So <laughs> I, I think that's the most I've seen of Zach Levine lately. <laughs> so I think you've talked me into Ty Lue a little bit. Like I feel a lot better if it was Ty Lue. I feel better. I feel much better if they hired Ty Lue as opposed to how I felt maybe like last week or two weeks ago when his name was like the first name coming up. Um, definitely agree with you on E-May. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't symbol much of a turnover if they just promote him. And then the, the, the other names, like we, we pretty much agree that no part of Stan Van, no part of Mark Jackson uh, oh gosh! Yeah, we didn't talk about Mark Jackson, but please know. I, I I felt there was no need to because like I felt it was gonna be like a one word conversation. Just just yeah. no, move on. Just shouting into the void. No. Yeah. Jason Kidd, same thing. Just no, no, God no. But this was a this was a fun conversation. I'm actually I'm actually looking forward if they hire Ty Lue because I want to see what this guy does now. <laughs> it's it's so weird because I feel like just because so many people were against him, my like being neutral on him just leaves me on the <laughs> on the other side of the conversation. Seriously, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, y'all need to De- res- Liberty Ballers deputy editor would be fine with Ty Lu. Like, y'all that's, need that to, seems like a hot take. <laughs> y'all need to respect the royalty for for Sean Kennedy. Like, come on, y'all. Like, Jesus, cut him a give him a break. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I would say I'd feel a lot more comfortable if they like had a new front office in place before yeah, the coaching be, search was conducted. Nice. Yeah. Like why, why are Colangelo guys still here? Why? <laughs> what is the point of like, are you really that desperate to keep appeasing the NBA like that? Like these guys, these guys failed. Anybody else would have, Anybody else in any other job would have been fired for much, much less. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And the draft is kind of right around the corner, sneakily. And I don't, like, El- Elton Brand, literally, his pitch for keeping the job was, I wasn't experienced enough two years ago, or a year ago, or whatever. And that's why we had to have a collaborative front office. But after making all these mistakes, I've now learned from those mistakes, and now yeah. I'm ready for the job. And it, it's it's that's your guy right now, plus all the guys who have a repeated history of failing. So 
I, we need I to get some new guys this. in there. <laughs> I, I will say this. If if something ridiculous happens and somebody is like asleep at the switch with the Washington Wizards and somehow Elton can get, you know, Brad Beal without having to give up Thibel or Jake Milton or anything like that, like all is forgiven. All is forgiven if we can somehow pull that off. Uh, honestly, the Wizards have been making some good moves since they got the their new decision making makers in there. So I, I don't see them. Uh... You, you mean the you mean the Wizards are good now that they have a functioning NBA general <laughs> manager? It's um, funny that, how that works. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> uh, it's not rocket science. It's yeah. not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Sixers do make it seem like it it might be sometimes. So. Oh my god, it's like the it's like the Sixers front office is trying so hard. It it feels like they're trying to come up with the vaccine for coronavirus. I'm like, fellas, this is not that hard. <laughs> Well, uh, that that's maybe a good place to end it then. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> John, thank you for coming on and chatting about the uh, Sixers' impending head coaching search. Absolutely. I uh, hope to talk again soon, um, maybe when we uh, know who will be uh, manning the bench this upcoming season. Yeah, there's probably going to have to be a big round table, and like we'll have to – We'll have to give you some theme music if it's Ty Lue, and then you can just be like, look, I was pro this guy from the jump, and y'all wouldn't give me crap for it. So yeah. you know what? That's that's fine. And if the Sixers win the, the championship next year with Lue in the on the head on the sidelines, then I, you have you should be at the front of the damn parade. Just like that's right. I called this. I accepted this. I talked everyone into it. So you know what? Everyone get behind me. I'm driving this bus. And uh, the number one point I made in my article was that if Tyloo comes aboard, Allen Iverson's already at like half the games. So they would absolutely have to talk them into recreating the step over. At least, listen, every, every Friday night on a national televised game, step overs at halftime. Yeah. All all they have to do to get a standing ovation from the crowd is pan to AI in a in a luxury box and it gets the fans going. Um so I can't even imagine what that would do. <laughs> <laughs> uh lovely talking to you Sean. I hope to see you soon once uh we're allowed to, you know, meet and uh be in each other's company again. It's been been so long. I for, I've I've almost forgotten how to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, good to uh, have a socially distanced discussion about the Sixers coaching. Awesome. Thank you again, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. All right.